Thank you, praise team, for getting us started this morning. Sorry we're a little bit late this morning uh, getting started. We thought we had everything ready, and we had missed one little button that says make it public on YouTube. So we had to cancel that service and reschedule a whole new schedule through BoxCast, and hopefully everybody's getting it now, BoxCast, YouTube, Facebook, and, and Twitter, and everywhere else it goes. But anyway, uh, we, we've got the service started now, and we're glad to be together with you worshiping this morning. Big day today, a lot going on here uh, at the church, particularly with uh, this afternoon. We got a funeral service for Ken Davis, so I want to remember Miss Debbie and the kids in uh, your prayers today. The visitation will be from 1230 to 3 with a service starting at 3. So uh, be in prayer for them, and uh, for those that uh, plan to come, just uh, know that we're going to do our best to practice the social distancing things. We've got some a face mask if you uh, happen to need one, don't have one, uh, but uh, we'll do our best to kind of make sure everyone can keep their uh, social distance from each other uh, while we uh, love the family uh, through this time. Also on Tuesday, there's a service for Jerry Edelman. That's Miss Helen's Edelman's son. Uh, he passed away uh, a little over a week ago, and of course they had their service down in Tampa, and they have brought Jerry back here, and there's going to be a memorial service on Tuesday. Uh, that'll be at Ronk Funeral Home. I know the service is at 1. I think there's some visitation, maybe from like 11 to 1 or something like that beforehand. Also, we've got a, ba uh, a, a baby shower, uh, an early arrival for uh, J.D. and Lauren. We're excited for them. Little Lola came this week, and uh, she's just as precious as can be. But there's a drive-by baby shower for Lauren and J.D. Uh, Marbury uh, at uh, 1.30 today, and just simply that's going to be over at Johnny and Sandra Maddox's house. Uh, Main Street, is that what that is? Park Street, yeah, just on Park Street. So you can drive by and drop Maine. off a gift. Maine. Maine. I told you that was Maine. East Maine, yeah. I thought that's what that was. And anyway, uh, then next week we open back up. So if you're able to be here, uh, we'd love to see you in our worship service next week. Remember, you know, it, if you are in a high-risk uh, group, I mean, if you're in that upper age bracket and you've got underlying health conditions particularly, then uh, by all means, you're okay to be at home and watch uh, until maybe uh, just a little bit uh, safer time. And, and, you know, hopefully everybody have a chance to have had the vaccine if they want it uh, and then uh, just be a little bit safer. But uh, we will be opening up next week, and then next week also we've got deacons meeting after the worship service. So guys, make a, a note of that. And 
Uh, we're also going to be opening up the Wednesday night ministries in part. The younger kids' choirs, I know, are opening, uh, and uh, that's going to be three-year-olds to first grade. And then uh, I think once the youth get back off of, uh, of the ski trip, then uh, their, their teachers will be ready to open up with the others. But Wednesday night uh, is going to open up. Huh? We're going to be putting the forms online for the ski trip, too. So parents be looking. It probably won't be out there until the, till tomorrow. It may be later this afternoon, but uh, tomorrow we'll have those where you can uh, print them off, fill them out, and then get them into Brian uh, for the ski trips. But we are going to be open uh, back up for worship uh, this Wednesday as well. So make note of that, 630. Well, that's uh, pretty much everything going on. And uh, if you missed some of that, just look at the bulletin online or call, text. We'll, we'll tell you what maybe you missed. But also don't forget, we're taking up all the way through the month of February, Lottie Moon. And I think right now we're at uh, $8,500, I think is where we're at in our Lottie Moon given. Our goal is 15000 so let's come on, let's do that. And let's pray this morning for our worship time and our offering that's come in. And of course, uh, these families that we've mentioned. Father, thank you today for loving us, gracing us, letting us be together in the spirit this morning. Again, Father, we're thankful for a technology that allows us to, to, to broadcast in, in so many ways uh, the good news that Jesus there is about you and salvation and your free gift of forgiveness and love and our eternal life we can have through you. Lord, we do pray for uh, Debbie's family uh, today, Ken's family, as uh, that service is today. And then we pray for Miss Helen and her family uh, this uh, week as they have a service for uh, Jerry. And Lord, just all the things going on, we uh, just ask you to watch over and help us to do the things we need to do as a Christian family together. Thank you for the offerings we've received through the week and continue to receive uh, to the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. All these things we give to you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.
next week we get to join each other again, and it is something I look forward to. Uh, just God's people being in his house together, there's, a, there's an awesomeness, a holiness of us all being able to be back in the Father's house. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over, my story's just begun. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. No, failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. God, we bow before you again this morning. We thank you that we can come to you and that uh, you don't look at our faults. You don't look at our failures. You don't look at the things that, that we've made mistakes in. All you, When you look at us as your children, you just see grace, mercy, kindness, love, holiness. Not because of anything that we have done, but because what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that all we have to do is ask. It's a free gift of salvation. And it comes by your grace and your mercy alone. 
And we can never say thank you enough for that, Lord. We want to tell you again, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. And we ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Take your Bible today and open to Luke chapter 22. And we're still in the series together. And we'll be for uh, at least, uh, I think, the next four Sundays as we go through February, thinking about our old adversary, Satan. And we've been talking about that uh, through the month of January now. We've uh, looked at his beginning. Uh, we answered that question, uh, who is Satan and how did he get started? And then we looked at his blunder, uh, we might call it, because uh, he sinned and rebelled against God and, and lost his privilege and lost his place there in heaven. And then we looked at uh, his bite, we might call it that, and we saw where Satan came to the garden and tempted Adam and Eve and got them to uh, sin against God, rebel against God. And last week we talked about Satan in the world and uh, his uh, working in this world and how he attacks us. And then today I want us to look a little bit uh, deeper into the bite of Satan and think about uh, his uh, bite personally in our life. And there's a, an individual that I want to pull away out of scripture and really look at his life. And I want to think with you along this subject, the sifting of Satan or sifted by Satan. And it's really the story of Peter and his denial. Look at Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. We'll read through verse 34, short, short passage, but it, it is a really profound passage. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, the Lord says, that, you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthening your brothers, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times that you know. Something strange and something alien was in the air that night that Jesus told Peter what was going to happen there in the upper room. By this point in the scripture, Judas had, had gone. He had gone out to do what he was going to do. Uh, in betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that remained were the disciples that were going to be faithful to Jesus in the end of all things. We know that all of the disciples deserted Jesus during his uh, time of trial and tribulation there uh, before and during the cross. And, uh, but they would come back together later uh, and all of them, including Peter that we read about, would ultimately die for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's in this deep, intimate moment of darkness and question and uh, confusion that Jesus has made this revelation known to Peter. Remember that Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. He had spoken about who would betray him, and they all wondered who was it that was going to do that thing? And of course, we know it was Judas. Judas had been loved on by the Lord, and he has gone out to do this thing. And, and, and Jesus is further explaining that, uh, that his moment, his time is coming. And, and he's explaining to the disciples that Satan is stalking his prey. And it's during this, this, this moment, this uh, really dark moment that Satan is sizing up who's going to be the best target of the disciples. Who's going to be the one that really can fail in a major way. And perhaps it, it may be because of Peter's greatness that he senses, or it may be because Peter is sort of looked at as the leader of this group, but whatever reason, Satan sets his eyes upon Peter as to the one to be the one 
that's really going to lead in failing the Lord this night. And he wants to do everything that he can to do uh, to get Peter to fail and get these disciples to fail. So it's here in this critical moment of life, it's without question a very big moment in life. And Jesus is wanting to get Peter's full attention. And in verse 31, he does something that he's done before. Uh, you might remember when Jesus was uh, talking to uh, Martha. You remember here, they were in the home of Mary and Martha, and, and Mary was uh, sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus, and Martha was all upset because Mary wasn't helping take care of the guests like she was. And, and she was missing the key moment, the important moment that was happening right before. And, and he says to her, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part. I'm not always going to be with you. In that same way, in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon. He uses that old name of Peter. He uses the name that he had before Jesus had given him that name, Peter, that we know means the rock or that Petros, that stone, uh, that, that, that foundation. He uses that worldly name that Peter had, and, and he gets Peter's attention, and he says, Peter, you are about to be sifted. Now, that's a word we don't use much today. It's, it's a word that means the process of separating substances. It, it's, it's used to talk about the separation between the grain and the chaff, uh, it would have been very common in that day. But it's also a, a symbol or an illustration of, uh, of separating. It is the separation uh, that comes by the way of the judgment of God, that the good is remained and the bad is separated. But in this case, it's not the good that Satan wants to remain, it's the bad. You see, not only does God sift us in our life to bring out the good in us, we have to understand that from time to time, Satan wants to sift us to bring out the bad in us. Satan wants to bring out only what is evil and sinful. Rick Lawrence in his book, and one that I've been reading for this particular message, uh, says uh, this, it's, his book is entitled, Sifted, God's Scandalous Response to Satan's Outrageous Demand. Listen to what uh, Rick says. He says, the mystery of our sifting is a trek into the kind of raw intimacy that God once shared with his beloved Adam and Eve. It is a brutal outworking of redemption, hope, and joy in our lives. But the journey, he says, is no stroll. It is rather an epic and terrible adventure. And he goes on to say, it's a treasure hunt, and the treasure is our freedom. You see, life has its trials. Life has its tests. Life has its temptations. It has its moments where we are sifted. Life isn't always pleasant and always isn't good. There are rainy days. There are bad days. There are days where we are learning the secret of dependence upon God. Eugene Patterson, in, in his book, that long uh, uh, obedience in the same direction says this, we would soon become contemptuous of a God whom we could figure out like a puzzle or learn to use like a tool. No, if God is worth our attention or like today worth our worship, he must be a God that we can look up to, a God that we must look up to independence. You see, we have a God that his ways are greater than our ways. His thinking is deeper than our thinking. His understanding is, is more than our understanding. And, and, and he's a God that, listen, we're not going to figure out in this life. We're not going to have the, uh, the answers to every question. And, and, and by the way, I would say that if you, if, if you listen to a preacher and a preacher acts or says that, you know, that he's pretty well got God all figured out for you, then I would just say you need to get another preacher to listen to. Uh, there's not any man, woman, boy, girl in this world. There's never been any man, woman, boy, girl in this world. I don't care who, 
might be considered the greatest theologian that's ever lived in this world. You could be talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul himself, and I could promise you Paul did not have God figured out. On numerous occasions, Paul talks about the mysteries of God. There are some things about God we just don't understand fully. And there's some things we don't understand about God at all. And so our God is a big God. And so listen, Peter hears these words from the Lord Jesus on this crucial night, this critical moment, and he's, he's given a revelation. He, he's heard something that he could never imagine, something that he could never envision, and that is this. Peter, Satan has set his focus on you. Matter of fact, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you. And if that's not enough, if that kind of information isn't enough to knock Peter back, what comes next surely must have knocked him off his feet. And that's this. Jesus says, Peter, I've given him the okay. I've given Satan permission. That ought to be a lightning strike to our lives. What do you mean, Jesus, you said, okay. I thought you loved us, Lord. I, I thought you loved Peter. What do you mean that there could be times that Satan wants us in his grasp to do his worst to us, perhaps? And you might say, go ahead. That's a thought worth thinking upon. It's important to note, too, that uh, Jesus had already been preparing them for this lightning bolt. All too often we miss when that moment comes when all of a sudden we're being sifted by Satan that God had already been doing work to us or in us to prepare us for such a moment. Think about what had happened already up to this point. Judas has departed and has already gone off to have his secret meeting with the chief priests and scribes. But guess what? It wasn't a secret to Jesus. It wasn't something that Jesus had not prepared them for. Uh, it, you know, he had shown his ability to foreknow things there. Jesus had already told Peter and the disciples what was about to, uh, to happen next and what would unfold, so it shouldn't have caught them by surprise. Jesus has told his disciples that they must find a, a place to have the Passover for. Furthermore, just think about the story when Jesus tells uh, the disciples about having the, the Passover uh, together and, and what's going to happen. It's kind of a, a quirky and bizarre set of instructions that he gives. I mean, Jesus tells Peter and John, for example, keep your eyes open when you enter in Jerusalem. There's going to be this fella carrying a jug of water. When you see him, follow him. And then go speak to the owner of the house and, and tell the owner, not ask the owner, the teacher wants to know where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples. Have you ever thought about that? I was thinking about that this week, how funny and bizarre that really is. I mean, what Jesus has basically said is this. Hey, guys, I want you to go stalk this guy you don't know, you've never met, that's going to be carrying a jug of water through Jerusalem. I mean, I'm sure Peter and John had to think, say, what? I mean, you want us to stalk some stranger? And how do we even know we're going following the right guy. I mean, people carry jugs of water through town all the time. But not only that, when, when you finally get to where he's going, barge in behind him, knock on the door, uh, pound on the door, and tell the, the owner, by the way, the teacher is ready to use that room you've got for a Passover party. I mean, think about it. I mean, this was a big time, a big moment in Jerusalem. I mean, it would have been an inconvenience to give up part of your home for a party uh, for a whole bunch of men. But Jesus had been doing this to show them that he knew what was coming. And they would be prepared for what was coming. What Jesus was doing was connecting the natural to the supernatural. He was quietly reminding them that he's the Lord of all things. You see, the sea's natural. Walking on the sea is not natural. It's supernatural. 
Food's natural, isn't it? I mean, we use it. We enjoy it every day. But feeding 5,000 with just a few scraps, that's not natural. That's supernatural. Water's natural. We drink it. We enjoy it. But turning water into wine at a wedding is supernatural. Meeting someone who's suffering, say, for example, with a, a paralyzed limb, that's natural. But restoring that limb in a, in a, with a touch or with a word, that's supernatural. The storms of life are natural. But telling the, the winds and the waves to hush is supernatural. So what Jesus had been doing all before this was to prepare these disciples for what was coming. And what was coming was a lightning boat. Satan's after you. Satan's stalking you. And I've given him permission to do what he wants to do with you. It's also interesting here in verse 31 to notice, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands to have you. The you there is plural. It's not just Satan wants Peter, but guys, he wants every one of you. Every one of my disciples, he, he has asked for in particularly you, Peter. So I want you to understand that sometimes Satan sets his eyes on us. Sometimes we find ourselves being sifted. Perhaps today you're being sifted. It might be in your, your job. It may be in your home. It might be in your health. It might be in your finances. It, it, it might be just in general. But Satan has set his guns on you. He's launched his attack. And more than that, God has said, okay. Let me give you four lessons that we need to learn real quickly today. Number one, our adversary stalks us. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan demands to have you. It's important to note that that name, Satan, is really not his name, but it is his title. It means adversary. It means the one who is the enemy. You know, Jesus describes our stalker's personality. He's our adversary. I've said it on the outset of this, and I have said it all the way through this series. I'll say it again this morning. You and I have an enemy that means to do us real harm. He is personal. He is intelligent. He is cunning. He is destructive. He doesn't mind slandering you. He doesn't mind accusing you. He doesn't mind betraying you. He doesn't mind hurting you. He wants to do all those things and more than those things if by chance he can separate you from the love of God in some way or the fellowship of God in some way. He can't hurt God, so he sets his eyes upon us. But Jesus also describes our stalker's plan. His plan is what? To sift us. He wants to shake out the good in our life and all that remains is the bad. It's, it's what Satan asked God to do in the life of Job, to sift him. We know the story of Job and how he lost this and lost that and went through this and went through that. And Satan said, I'll prove to you, God, that he doesn't really love you and that he will turn upon you and curse you if you remove all these things from his life. If you let me take these things from him, you'll see the real Job. Well, all those things disappeared from Job's life, and we saw the real Job, didn't we? You remember what Job said? Though the Lord slay me, yet will I praise him. It didn't work out for Satan the way that he wanted it to. Instead of evil remaining, the good, the very best of Job remained. And that's what happens when he wants to stalk our life. You have an adversary that's doing exactly the same thing. Don't get the idea that when you get saved, that somehow the battle is over, that Satan isn't any more a worry. Peter was a saved man. Jesus talked about his faith. But Jesus also was telling Peter, you still have an adversary. As a matter of fact, 
when he talks about the, uh, Peter here, he's talking to the plural. He's talking to all of those guys. And he's saying, you, you all are under attack. And he, he talks not only about the plan, but the power. He, he says he wants to sift you. He wants to hurt you. But notice what Jesus also says here. I've given him permission and while that may be a lightning strike to our heart, it ought to be a comfort too because it tells us this, that Satan can't do anything to us without God first giving it his okay. You see, while Satan is powerful and while we do worry about Satan and, and his attack upon us, God is still the God who's on the throne. He is still the one who is over all things. And I know it seems like some kind of paradox here that doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to be honest, there, there is a mystery to this. How can a good and loving God allow anyone, let alone his children, to suffer at the hand of Satan? But I want to say this, and this is an important thing, and I want you to believe it. Believe it in, in, in all of your heart that God is always working for our good even when he's working unto his glory. His glory and our good are never in any way separated. And God was working in the, in the glory of the Lord Jesus at this moment. He was, he was proving out what Scripture had said. He was proving out what Jesus had told them. And yes, it was going to be a difficult time, a gut-wrenching time for these disciples but it was going to be for their good. There were lessons to be learned. There was strength to be gained through this valley experience that they would draw on later. And ultimately, it really was for Peter's good. So there's an adversary that stalks us. Secondly, there's an ability that can sabotage us. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. There are three problems that Peter has here that, that we see. Three areas where he's trusting in his own ability. Number one is his pride. It might have been an understatement that Peter was a self-confident man. And self-confidence is a good thing. I mean, we, we, we want to have uh, self-confidence. We don't want to be uh, uh, an individual that doubts anything and everything that might come along in our life that we might could handle. Self-confidence is good, but when he gets to the level where it becomes self-confidence over confidence in the Savior, when it's self-courage rather than Christ-confidence, it becomes pride. It isn't our ability, but His ability that accounts most. Proverbs 28, verse 26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in the wisdom of the Lord is delivered. Peter had a problem with pride. People, Peter had a problem with prayerlessness. Jump forward just a little bit here in, in the scriptures, and you'll find where Jesus is in the garden with the disciples. And, and he's told them, you stay here, you watch, and you pray. And Jesus actually has pulled uh, uh, Peter, James, and John off a little bit from that group to pray even more particularly with him. And every time he comes back, he finds them what? Asleep. They failed to realize the seriousness of this moment. They failed to realize the great need of prayer in that moment. Prayer is what keeps the power of God locked up in us and, and, and keeps Satan locked out of our lives. Peter had a, a prayerlessness issue. Peter had a prudence issue. What does that mean? Prudence is a word that means to, uh, to, to act with caution. Do you know where Satan attacks you in your life? It may surprise you. I, I don't know that Satan attacks us, and don't really believe that he attacks us necessarily at our weak places. I, I think that's the places we always expect Satan to show up. But you see, Satan attacked Peter not in his weak area, but in his strength area. I mean, he, he attacked Peter in his strongest place, his courage. More than any other disciple, Peter 
was courageous. He was ready to go to death. He was ready to go to prison. And it's there that Satan attacked him. Think about it. Abraham, his strong point was what? His faith. But you read the story of Abraham and you find what? His faith failed and he lied about Sarah because he couldn't fully trust in God. David, his strong point was what? His integrity. But we all know the story of David and Bathsheba. He was attacked in his area of integrity. Peter's strong point was courage. But it's there that Satan got him to fail. Oswald Chambers, that great uh, devotional writer and, and theologian of old, said this, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. You see, you may say, well, this is my strong point in, in my relationship with God. And, and, and you think, well, I don't have to watch over that. I don't have to guard in that area. And you let down your guard. And you let down your watch. And, and, and you're looking at this weak area where you, you know you struggle. And you, you've got up your guard. And you've got up your determination. You've got up all these things that, that keep you faithful with God there. And, and you're, you're daily at war with Satan in that area. But yet then Satan doesn't come in that weak place. He comes in the strong place. That place you didn't really expect him. Or didn't really fear him. So let me just say you have an adversary who stalks you. And sometimes we have abilities that sabotage us. And third, sometimes our actions can surprise us. Verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready. I know I'm ready. I know I'm ready. And I'm ready to, to do whatever it is. If it means go to prison, I'll go to prison. If it means to go to death, death. No one was more surprised than Peter that he failed. No one uh, could have been more taken aback that, that he, he didn't do what he said he was going to do than Peter. And just think about this for a moment. No one's failure happens in a vacuum. Our sin, our failure affects us and the, Peter, uh, the, the people around us. Adam, if you, you think about his failure, it didn't just affect him, did it? It's still going through humanity today. David's failure didn't just affect him, but it, it pretty well ruined his family. But it didn't just ruin his family, it destroyed a kingdom. It came one generation later after Solomon, but after that, they were divided. And not long after that, they were simply not even a people uh, under their own rule. Peter was the leader of these disciples, and his pride, his uh, lack of prudence, his, his lack of prayerlessness led to his failure, but it also weakened those disciples. I want to say to you that when we sin, it doesn't just hurt our lives, it hurts our families, it hurts our churches, it hurts, it hurts our communities. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy our testimony that we have for Jesus. And so our actions can surprise us if we're not aware if we're not ready if we're not uh you know as 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 the bible says geared up for the battle where we've put on that helmet of salvation we've put on that breastplate uh of righteousness we've got that shield of faith we've got the uh, the word of god that sword in our hand and we we've shot our feet you know we've done those things that god says to do in that spiritual armor we have an adversary that stalks us, and our abilities can sabotage us, and our actions can surprise us. But here is the good news, that we have an advocate who secures us. Verse 32, Peter was prayerless, but Jesus wasn't. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you. He says to his disciples, I've prayed for you, plural, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. All throughout his failure, Peter was prayed for by Jesus. Think about it. In the midst of his own personal crisis, Jesus was thinking of Peter. I mean, there in the garden, when Jesus was in such agony that literally bled sweat drops of blood. And, and we've, we've got some of the prayer recorded in John 17. Jesus is praying for the disciples. I believe in all my heart that when Jesus was going through this trial and, and his accusation and his whipping and his mocking and, and, and his scourging and all of that, 
he was praying on the inside for these disciples. He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of, of the ones that he loved. When he hung there on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We make the assumption that he was praying for the, uh, the Roman guards and, and, and executioners pinning to the cross, and perhaps he was. The Bible says that prayer is a repetitive prayer that he he prayed it over and over and over again but perhaps maybe just maybe some of that prayer was father forgive them my disciples they know not what they're doing don't forget them god they're under attack by satan i want to say the good news is we have an advocate that 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 tells satan the load limit you can do this and only this and only so much in our life and 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 when god does allow the sifting to come into our life even by way of the satanic kingdom, that it's for our good and it's meant to bring out our best. He said, this is going to be profitable for you, Peter. You're going to, you're going to get strength from this, but not only are you going to get strength from this, you're going to be able to strengthen your brothers. I was reading uh, Rick Lawrence's book, as I was telling you, and, and towards the end of the book on Sifted, he he. he he does his own uh, retelling of the story of Peter when Jesus meets Peter there at the Sea of Tiberias with the disciples. I want to give that to you as we close today. And I want you to just kind of, you can close your eyes and just in picture what's going on here. Back on the beach of the Sea of Tiberias with the fresh smell of the flame-boiled, uh, broiled fish is rich in the air. Jesus drives home what strengthening your brothers is going to look like for his friend Peter, the rock. So imagine for just a moment that you're Peter. You can still feel the warmth of the fire that Jesus had built while you were cutting through the water just to get to him. You've had a good breakfast and you can't stop grinning because Jesus is with you again. He's flesh and blood, alive, and, and you realize not only he's alive, but he's staring at you. He's actually boring his eyes right through you. He looks at you and he says, can you take a little walk with me? And you get up and you shake off the sand and your soul is buzzing and you can't stop glancing over at him as you walk along the beach, unhurried and aimless. Down the beach a little, he finally turns and Jesus flashes a, a half smile and he asks you a, a question. And it's a question that bites a little. Do you love me more than others? others? A little startled, you tell him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in response, he simply says, feed my lambs. And then you walk a little further in silence. And this time, he doesn't turn to you. His eyes are focused on a a ways off somewhere down the beach and there's no half smile and again this time he says do you truly love me and you respond again yes lord you know that i love you but this time he stops and turns and his face is uncomfortably close to yours he won't take his eyes off of you and he says take care of my sheep and he leans in further now close enough so that you can feel his breath on your faith on your on your face and he asks you one more time do you love me and this time you can't hide your hurt tears are welled up in your eyes and you say to him lord you know all things and you know i love you and the Lord backs away a little and studies the anguish of your face. And he sees your heart. And you see in his face both tenderness and ferocity. And then you see a grin just beginning to creep across his face. And he says to you one more time with gravity, feed my sheep. There's been a long pause, and by now, as you walk down the beach in silence, Jesus has somehow given you the space to ponder what it means to feed his sheep. Jesus has quickly 
quickened his pace and is now a few yards ahead of you. And you realize the distance, and so you rush to catch up to him. And as you do, you see the Lord look back and glance at you. And he breaks out in a childlike laughter because he loves you. There are moments where we are sifted. We're sifted either through trial and tribulation that God has allowed to come to our life or or Satan himself has come knocking on our door and said, I want you. But whatever has come our way, it has come under the authority and the permission of God for whatever purpose God has for us. But I do believe this, it is always there to strengthen us and that we might strengthen others and be a blessing to others. And whatever we're going through, in that, we can know this, that God himself has been praying for you. Every now and then, I'll get on Twitter and I'll see something that uh, someone has said, particularly someone of some celebrity status, one of the analyst on the ESPN uh, uh, network and used to play for the Dallas Cowboys and does the college uh, SEC. Uh, the Marcus Spears had said something not too long ago. And, uh, and I commented back on his comment, just responding to him like so many people do. And the next thing I knew, he had commented back and he said, That's a great thought, Chris. And I thought, man, the NFL, SEC Network guy, ESPN analyst that's got thousands of followers just mentioned my name back to me. Do you realize, dear friend, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords calls you by name when he prays for you, when you're being sifted. When you find yourself being sifted, just remember that. I don't know about you, but the idea that God would be speaking my name is enough for me to say, okay, God, this is okay. I'm okay being sifted because I know at this moment your focus is truly upon me heavenly father this morning maybe someone is listening and someone says you know i've i really never thought about the 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 attack that we're under by satan and that kingdom of satan in this world but lord there there are moments i know in my life when i look back the big guns were on me but god i also know that you were there and you did not fail me Lord, I may have failed you like Peter failed that night. But through my failure, God, you reached down and reached out and and you loved me back into that right relationship, that intimacy that, that knows joy unspeakable. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that says, I don't have that in my life. I don't have, God, you in my life as my Savior and my Lord and And Lord, just because you're not my Savior and Lord doesn't mean that Satan doesn't set his eyes and guns on us. And Lord, what a fool I've been not to to be your child. Because Lord, I need your hand of strength. And I need your presence in my life when I'm under attack. And Lord, perhaps today someone says... I know I'm not a Christian, and I want today, Jesus, to give my heart to you because I know that I can find myself under attack. And I am under attack if I've not trusted you because Satan's winning. And the ultimate prize for him is my soul down down to heaven forever. So, Lord, whether it be a Christian that's struggling, whether it be someone lost today, we still look to you our Lord, our Savior, and our Keeper. 
who calls us by name and prays for us by name and in whose name today we come and lift up this prayer. In your name, Jesus, amen. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.